If you have a Bible, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. It's also printed in your bulletin. I am actually going to try to be brief. Uh, That's famous last words from a preacher, right? Uh, And just try to wrap this, all the lessons, kind of summarize them and wrap them all up and bring them together through using Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. This prophecy was written about 700 years before Jesus was born. Starting in verse 6, this is God's word, 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let me pray and ask God to help us this morning uh, with this passage. Let's pray together. Father, would you come through your Holy Spirit and apply this uh, word to our hearts this morning? We need it. Um, Lord, I pray that supernaturally through your Spirit that you would make Christmas come alive to us this morning and this season. Uh, Take these truths that some of us have learned about and heard about all of our lives and make them new to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, This passage is about the promise of Christmas and the promise of Jesus that Isaiah prophesied many years before. And so I want to talk about three things through this passage very briefly Uh, Why do we need the promise of Christmas? First, secondly, what is the promise of Christmas? And then thirdly, how do we get it? So why do we need it? What is it? And how do we get it? That's where we're headed this morning. Let's look at number one. Why do we need it? Well, Isaiah begins in chapter 9 by using the word but, and that automatically connects us with everything that has gone before. And what has gone before is Isaiah is describing a very dark time Uh, in God's people and in their history. They were in exile. And that is meant that basically they had been conquered uh, by uh, their enemies. Isaiah describes it as darkness. Okay, look at verse 2. That's why he says the people who walked in darkness. I'm not going to read Genesis chapter 3 again, but that's basically what Isaiah is describing. Ever since Genesis chapter 3, the fall of man into sin... Uh, the world, uh, one way to describe it is darkness. It was a dark place. Uh, It was a dark place during Isaiah's time. It was a dark place when Jesus was born. And I don't have to convince you this morning, just read the newspaper. (laughs) The world is still a dark place. And there are many ways we could talk about the darkness, but one of the ways the world is dark is it's seen today in that humanity uh, is often misguided and self-deceived Because we think that we can heal the darkness. We think that we can overcome the darkness in and of ourselves. We think we can fix the world, don't we? We think we can fix ourselves. We think we can overcome the darkness. If we get enough education, we can be smart enough, we can fix it. Or if we can get enough money gathered together, we can fix our problems and the problems of the world And we think we can fix the world through government, 
through making more laws. And has any of that ever worked? No, it has not. We think, and one of the ways we reveal our darkness is we think that we have the light within our own hearts. We think we, in and of ourselves, can dispel the darkness. So number one, what's the, what, why do we need the promise of Christmas? Well, because the world is a dark place, and we're broken people. Genesis chapter 3, the first lesson. We're broken people, full of sin, and we cannot fix ourselves. That's why we need the promise of Christmas. Secondly, what is the promise? Well, the Christmas message is that things really are that bad. But if you look at verse 2, there's hope. On the land that was living in deep darkness, a light has shone. A light has dawned. Notice again from the text, the light has not come from within the world, but it has come upon the world. The light has come from the outside. And who is that light? We live this side of redemptive history, this side of the cross. We know that the light of the world is the baby born in a manger. Jesus himself, he is the light that has come into the world to dispel the darkness. Look at verses 6 and 7. In the ancient Near East, I'm going to look through these names briefly, but When a king was coronated, they would read off the throne names for the king. That's what Isaiah's doing here. Uh, He's reading off these lists of names, and these names would tell you what the king was like or what that particular person was like. And so Isaiah is telling us what King Jesus is like. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father and prince of peace, wonderful counselor. Think about the best counselor uh, that you can think of. What, what makes a good counselor? Well, a good counselor is someone who understands you, who gets you, who gets the human condition, and who has the ability to enter into your pain. Jesus is a wonderful counselor. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. Jesus was made like us in every way. That's Christmas. Jesus was made like us in every way, and because he was made like us in every way and suffered in all the ways that we suffer, he is able to help and comfort us in the midst of our suffering. When you're going through a hard time, generally the people who help you the most are who? The people who have traveled similar roads than you have, who have gone down and dealt with similar things. Christmas means that God knows you and that God knows what it's like to be you because God knows what it's like to be abandoned by people, to be abandoned by friends. God knows what it's like to be short on money. Remember, the Son of Man had no place to lay his head. God knows what it's like to experience injustice and to be lonely and to die and to experience loss. Wonderful counselor. God knows what you're going through this morning. He gets it. He gets you. That's what that means. Secondly, he's mighty God. And that just simply means it's another way of saying this child that Isaiah is talking about is God in the flesh, born on Christmas Day. Mighty God. Jesus is God. He's also everlasting father. And the word father there doesn't mean like we automatically typically go to the Trinity. It's not talking here about the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's talking about Father-like 
compassion and care. It's describing the way Jesus cares for and interacts with his people. And I think this is a good image for us to think about this Christmas because oftentimes when we think about Jesus, uh, and I thought this a lot growing up, and I don't know where it came from, but we tend, it's normally the way he's depicted if you ever have seen a movie that's portraying Jesus or even a picture, but it's like Jesus is this android <laughs> walking the earth, and he has no emotion and no, uh, he's somber and he's cold and he's almost in slow motion all of the time. And it's like, does he even have a pulse? (laughs) That is not the way Jesus is described in the Bible. That's not what Jesus is like. And some of you, uh, you've had good fathers. Some of you uh, have had bad fathers. But Jesus is the best father that this earth has ever produced. He's better than the best father that this earth has ever produced. He is good and he is gentle and he is kind. And Sinclair Ferguson is describing in the prodigal son... He says that as Jesus is describing and telling the story, that he's not only talking about God the Father, but he's also describing himself as Father and the way he relates to sinners. And if you think about that story, Jesus is the one that runs to you. Jesus is the one that wraps his arms around you and puts his robes on you and a ring on you and throws you a feast. See, that's how Jesus feels about you this morning. And the other thing that you see here is the word everlasting. And this was challenging to me this week. Think about the word. So everlasting, always father-like. That's who Jesus is. And if you think about that, Jesus never changing, that's challenging for me because I feel like uh, sometimes I can be just a little bit moody. Anybody else in here? Can you be moody? Yeah, depending on your circumstances and on what side of the bed you get up on and what you're going through and maybe what you're going through at work, maybe it impacts in your little moody the way you relate to your friends or maybe your co-workers or even uh, your own family. Jesus is never moody. Jesus never changes. He's always father-like. And so we can get that code and stoic and somber Jesus that maybe we think of We can get that out of our heads this morning and we can fill it with a picture of the wonderful counselor who knows your pain and enters into your pain and knows what you're going through. We can fill it with the everlasting Father and we can fill it with mighty God. And lastly, we can fill it with the Prince of Peace. The primary reason that Jesus came into the world, the primary thing that he wanted to accomplish was reconciling sinful man to a holy God. That's why we're here this morning. That's the whole reason we celebrate Christmas, is that Jesus was born in order to bring us peace with God. Romans chapter 5 verse 6 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we can have peace with God. What is justification? Well, justification, it's a Bible word. Uh, but it's a word that means basically the fact that God took away all of our sin and he gave us his perfect record of righteousness. That's a pretty good deal, isn't it? And that can be yours by faith alone, through Christ alone. And through justification, through being justified by faith, we can have peace with God is what this passage is saying in Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. 
He came into the world to bring us peace with God. And some of us this morning, and I know because I've been sitting where you've been sitting my whole life, you hear that and it goes in one ear and out the other and we say, yeah, 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 tell me something I don't know. That's all I got. That's all I have every single week. It's that Jesus came into the world in order to give you peace with God. And friends, we never get past that message because that's the message of the gospel. It's, the, it's been said it's not just the ABCs of the Christian life. It's the A to Z. It's not just the entry point. Yes, I'm a Christian. Now I can just put that on the shelf and get on with my life. No, the gospel is the path that we walk every single day of our life. Jesus was born to bring you peace with a holy God. And it's through that peace that you have peace in every single area in your life. And the moment you walk out of those doors this morning, the world is going to scream at you. Peace is found not in Jesus, but in having the right job. Peace is found in having the right body type. Peace is found in having the right possessions. Peace is found in getting enough wealth acquired. Friends, you cannot have true, lasting peace without the Prince of Peace, Jesus, in your life. Isn't that what we all want this morning? Every single one of us. Don't we want a wonderful counselor? Someone who gets us and enters in with us? Don't we want God in the flesh? Don't we want someone who is always, not just sometimes like us, always father-like? And don't we want the Prince of Peace? And that leads to the last point. How do we get this light? How do we get this wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace? Verse 6. To us, a son is earned. No. It's very subtle, isn't it? Very easy to miss. To us, a son is given. And so, how do we get it? It's a gift that we have to be willing to receive and go to God empty-handed and receive it as a gift of God's grace. And friends, there has never been a gift that is offered that will make you swallow your pride. You ever got a gift that just makes you almost cringe, like you just don't want to take it because it makes you, it humbles you and swallows your pride? There's never been a gift that makes you swallow your pride more than the gift that Jesus gives us. What do I mean by that? Well, to receive this gift that Jesus offers of salvation, you've got to admit that you're empty-handed. You've got to admit that you're lost. You've got to admit that you're unable to save yourself. You see, the true gift of Christmas is that only the death of God's only Son can save us. That's the gift of Christmas. To put it another way, even on your best day, think about the best day you've ever had spiritually. Even on your best day spiritually, someone had to die for you. See, that's what it means. You've got to admit that in order to receive this gift that God is offering. And if we're honest, that goes lower than most of us want to go. 
You see, the beauty of Christmas is seen in how far Jesus was willing to go. How far he was willing to go in order to come and to save us. The light of the world descended into the darkness. Us, our world, in order to bring light. The light of salvation to his people. That's the Christmas message. That's the foundation of understanding Christmas. And when we start to believe in Jesus the way Isaiah believed in Jesus, and we remember this Christmas, why he was born and why he came into the world, then maybe we'll celebrate him more than anything else this Christmas. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for those promises made many, many years ago through Isaiah. Thank you that you always keep your promise. Thank you that you didn't leave us in the darkness, but you came to rescue us through your son Jesus. Would you make the truth of Jesus, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father and the prince of peace, make him more real to our hearts this season than ever before. Would you do this? We'd be very thankful. In Jesus' name, amen.